So last week, as we were talking about keys to victorious living, we spoke about the fact that there were two struggles or enemies that every believer has. The first one is that internal struggle that we face as we as believers, that battle that we struggle with between our flesh and our, our sinful nature and our fleshly nature and the spirit of God that dwells within us. Amazingly, for some reason, uh, when God saves us, even though he deposits his spirit in us, he doesn't remove our sinful nature. And so, yes, as we live in this body, we walk into salvation and then we walk into a fight right away because we're now having to fight with the desires of our sinful nature that are warring against the desires of the spirit of God that is dwelling within us. So that's one of the struggles that we all face. It's that struggle between, like we said, the flesh and the spirit. We all face that. We also, however, identified that there is an external enemy. So that's our internal one, but there's an external enemy that we also have to fight against. And that enemy is the devil or Satan. And that enemy is going to be the topic of our conversation this evening. We want to understand a little bit more about this enemy. We want to kind of understand his methods. We want to kind of understand um, his his ways. And we want to just identify a little bit more about who this enemy is. And so the first thing we want to just understand is what the word Satan means. And the word, by the way, means an adversary or one who resists. So to get that right up right off the bat, Satan is one who resists. So he's an adversary. He's against us. He's resisting uh, the plan of God, the, the, the will of God, the direction of God. He's, he's resisting. He pushes himself up against that. So Satan is an adversary. It's one who resists. But the word devil, just so you know, um, means one of the words it means, and here's a word you might have not have heard before, is called traducer. Uh, a traducer or someone who traduces is so is means to expose or to shame or blame by means of falsehood and misrepresentation. Okay. Uh, the devil also means slanderer or someone who slanders is someone who makes false or damaging statements about someone else. Uh, Revelations also calls him the accuser of the brethren. So, so this is some of the foundation of who our enemy is. And the Bible also will call him in, in various places the ruler of this world, the prince of the air, if you will. And what that means, just so you understand, that means that his influence is felt in society through our system of morals and ethics and values. His influence causes a shift, this is his goal, a shift away from biblical truth, away from biblical ethics or morals and values. And we beginning, we're beginning to see this more and more in our society, where we are shifting away where things that used to be extreme have become normal. 
And these are the things that are now beginning to shape our morals and our values, okay? So he's the ruler of this world, of this age, if you want to use any of those terminologies that we find in scripture. So we want to look at three different aspects of Satan or the devil. We want to look at the character. We want to look at the goal, his goal. And we want to look at some of his schemes. Uh, we want to be aware of his devices. And so let's begin by looking at the character of Satan or the devil. And a good scripture to just to begin with is John chapter 8, verse 44. Here's what it says. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. Now, here's the real important piece of this. For there is no truth in him. This is John chapter 8, verse 44. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. All right? See, my native language is English. Some people's native language is Spanish. The devil's native language is lie. Okay? He speaks lie. <laughs> um, in fact, another translation, the New Living uh, translation, it says when he lies, he's acting or he's being consistent with his character. All right. So look at the character of the enemy. He says he was a murderer from the beginning. He does not hold to the truth. There is no truth in him. Think about that. There's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar. He is also the father of lies. That, folks, is the character of our enemy, of Satan, of the devil. He is a liar. There is no truth in him. If you think about that statement, by the way, that is just a, fan, a fascinating statement that truth does not exist in him at all. That is just a that's just a, a profound statement when you really think about it, that there is no truth in him. So that's his character. He is a liar. Okay. He is a there's no truth in him. He is not only a liar, he is the father of lies. Okay. So when you are lying, think about that. You are speaking the language of the devil, the language of Satan. Why? Because that is his native language. Okay. Let's keep going. So that's the character. We understand he's a liar. So what is his goal? What, what does Satan want to accomplish? And we discover this in John chapter 10, verse number 10. It says, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So if, if Satan had a goal for you, it's to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So I've, I, I made some thoughts uh, about, well, what does he want to steal? What does he want to kill? And what does he want to destroy? So I want you to, 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 to stay with me as we look at this, because the first thing, if you think about what the devil wants to steal, the devil wants to steal your position. What does that mean, steal your position? So to help us out, I want to um, look at the, the book of Matthew, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, 
and looking at verse number three, and this is the parable of the, the farmer who went out to sow some seed. And in verse number three, it says, then he told them many things in parables saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. I jumped down. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. Okay, so let's let's understand what's happening here. Farmer goes out to sow some seed, and the seed falls along the path, and the birds come and eat it. So what does that mean, right? And so Jesus gives us the meaning that the seed is the word of God. And the seed or the path represents, here it is, the people that hear the message about the kingdom, but they don't understand it. And when they don't understand it, what happens is the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their heart. So the first thing you want to understand is that the enemy tries to steal your position. What that means is he wants to keep you from entering in to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He wants to keep you from obtaining that position. How does he do that? By snatching away the word that is planted in your heart. See, he wants to keep you living in sin. He wants to keep you separated from Christ. And he does that by stealing the word planted. Notice these people heard the word, but then it was snatched from it, right? They didn't understand it. And the reason why he tries to keep you from the position is very simple. Because once you are secured in Christ, then you are safe. And there's nothing the devil can do about that. See, God, the Satan wants to hinder people from coming to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's kind of his revenge, if you will, against God, because he knows that that's the greatest way he can hurt God is by keeping people from coming into fellowship and relationship with him. But here's what he also knows. Once you are secure in Christ, once you are established in that position, there's nothing he can do to ever snatch you away. Here's what John chapter 10 says. Verse number 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. We're going to go to verse 30. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hands. I and the father are one. See, Satan tries to keep you to steal that position because he knows once you are in Christ, you are secure. And he can never snatch you out of God's hand because God is protecting you. You belong to him, so now he can't get you, okay? So what he tries to do is get you before you get there. In other words, he attacks before that word that is planted in you is allowed to take root and before your eyes become open to the truth 
because once you are in Christ, he can't get you. Okay, so that's the first thing he tries to do. He tries to steal your position. So what happens then? Okay, you give your life to Christ, you're now saved. He can't steal your position, so he tries to kill something in you. And what does he try to kill? He tries to kill your passion. Okay, I want you to, I want you to get this. He tries to kill your passion. And how does he do that? Think about this for a moment. What he tries to do is, okay, I can't get you, I can't steal you or take you out of God's hands, but when it comes to living this Christian life, eh, you don't have to be so excited about it. You don't have to be so bold and courageous about it. You don't have to go around shining light, and he puts things in your path to try to kill your passion. And we'll, we'll look at this a little bit further, but I just want to kind of help you understand these three things, okay? Now, so he tries to steal your position. If he can't do that, he's going to try to kill your passion, right? Kill that fire that's in you. Doesn't mean he's taking away your salvation, but he's trying to render you not so effective. And if he can't kill your passion because you're just so in love with God and you're on fire, then the third thing he will try to do is destroy your purpose, okay? So the thief comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. He's either gonna to try to steal your position, he's either gonna to try to kill your passion, or he's gonna to try to destroy your purpose. How does he do that? The purpose part, he does that through temptation, he does that through slander, he does that through attack, um, could be demonic attack, it could be attacks on your family, on your situation, or all of these things, designed to try to destroy your purpose, okay? So if he can't get your position and he can't kill your purpose, then he tries to go, I'm sorry, your, your, your passion, then he tries to go after your purpose, okay? And so this is understand the enemy. We're going to look at some more scripture in just a moment, um, but I just want you to get that. He tries to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his goal. He's either after your position, he's after your passion, well, he's after your purpose, okay? Those are the things he's trying to steal, kill, and destroy in your life. So let's look at some of the schemes of the enemy, because in 2 Corinthians, Paul reminds us, don't be ignorant of his devices, but be aware of his schemes. And one of the schemes of the devil, we're going to look at a few more, but one of the things he does is he mimics the Holy Spirit. Listen to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. It says, but I am not surprised even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Notice that. Not an angel of darkness, angel of light. You know all those movies you see in, in when movies when um, they try to um, uh, portray the devil, what they usually do is they have the red man with the pitchfork. Right. And they show the red the red man on the shoulder with the pitchfork. If you ever seen like especially in cartoons or, you know, you have the, the good angels usually white with the wings on. That's the good Clarence over here. But the bad Clarence is the red devil suit with the pitchfork. And they're kind of fighting against each other, trying to get me to move in the, in the right or wrong direction. That, by the way, folks, is not a good picture of who Satan really is, because remember, he is a liar. So he's not going to come to you in a red. Uh, devil suit with a pitchfork because that would be too obvious. 
So a lot of times, one of the things he will do is he will mimic or he will come in disguise and mimic the Holy Spirit. And so you have to be careful. This is why discernment is so important. This is why understanding and reading and knowing God's word is so very important because you will be under be able to discern or understand the difference between the mimicking of the Holy Spirit by Satan and the true Holy Spirit by God. So let me give you some things or some ways you can determine whether it's the Spirit of God or whether it's an imitation and Satan mimicking. One thing is we said before that the Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The Spirit of God comes to give, comes to resurrect, and comes to build. All right. So think about that. He comes to give life. He comes to resurrect things that were dead in you. He comes to build you up. Um, Satan will always put the focus or shift or try to move the focus inward so that you are always looking at yourself, looking at your deficiencies, looking at your lack, looking at what you can't do. The spirit of God always has you looking upward looking to him as your source, looking to Christ, looking to God as your resource and your, your um, source of strength, okay? So if you're looking inward, the Spirit of God never causes you to look inward as your source. It always causes you to look upward as your source. Um, the, the enemy brings disruption. Spirit of God brings peace, okay? There's disorder and confusion that has nothing to do with the Spirit of God, because the Spirit of God brings order, the enemy brings confusion. And I don't care where you're at. If you're in a church service and there's confusion going on, I promise you the Holy Spirit is not in it. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what it feels like. If there is confusion, the Spirit of God is not in it, because God is a God of order. Okay? All right? Keep these in mind. Um the Satan is a condemner. He's an accuser of the brethren. The spirit of God brings conviction, which leading to God's grace. And let me explain the difference because they sound kind of similar. Condemnation is judgment, meaning that all hope is lost. You are done. Wrap it up. Forget about it. It's over. Okay. Run from God. That's what condemnation does. Condemnation pushes you away from God. Conviction reminds you of your sin so you can repent of it. The pull of conviction is not to push you away, but to draw you near. God convicts you when he wants to remove something so he can again draw close to you. Okay? So, so keep that in mind. And here's, here's one last one I'll throw out to you. When it's the... when the, the devil is mimicking the Holy Spirit. The glory of what's happening is typically directed to the individual. When the Spirit of God is at work, the glory is directed to Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God always points the glory back to Christ. Why? Because he is our hope and our salvation, okay? Satan will never point anyone to Jesus, He'll point them in a whole bunch of different directions, but he will never, ever point them to Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God will always direct people back to Jesus Christ. I want you to understand that, okay? Now, let's dig a little deeper 
and start looking at some of his methods a little bit further. And to help us here, we need to go all the way back to the first two people that ever lived, good old Adam and his lovely wife, Eve, okay? And I want to start by looking in Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 2, God gives Adam a command. And the command was given to Adam, by the way. Uh, it says in verse 15, the Lord God, this is Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free, notice the language here, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, we're looking a little bit deeper into the, to the schemes of the devil. When we look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, um, we find Eve and Adam was actually with her by the tree. And here's what verse 1 says. Now, the serpent was more crafty. Um, other translations will use the word cunning or shrewd or clever. In fact, my daughter has been um, learning about, she's been uh, studying, it's this Bible app. And one of the stories was the story of Adam and Eve. And whenever she sees a serpent, she says, oh, there's the sneaky snake. <laughs> she calls it the sneaky snake. So he was cunning, crafty, shrewd, clever. See, right in line with his character of, of deception, no truth in him, liar and father of all lies. He was more clever than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, notice what he says here. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? You see, one of the tricks or schemes of the enemy is to give doubt or to question God's word. Notice what God says. God says, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Notice what the devil says. Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Two different statements there. So one of the tricks of the enemy is to get you to doubt or question God's word. And he'll do things like this. And you hear this a lot in our society, especially now with a lot going on. He'll say this. Does the Bible really say that? Did God really say that in his word? These are what things, tricks he uses. Is that really true for today? Or was that for yesterday, right? You, you've heard this stuff. I'm sure you've heard it. If you watch any type of news or media or anything like that, you've heard these types of questions. Yeah, that, that's, that was good for then. Is that really true for today? And a lot of times you hear this when a person is wanting to justify the way they're living or their actions, then a lot of times you hear that. Oh, yeah, that, yeah the Bible might say that, but nah, that's not really for today. So the first thing he tries to do is plant a seed of doubt. He did this in Eve's mind about what God really said. But then there's something else. I want you to notice the subtlety in these, in these, um, in these two languages here and, and then the command and what Satan said. Because the second thing Satan uses is deception. And let me explain further. God said, you are free to eat. Satan said, 
you must not eat. Two different languages here. And I want you to get something here. Hope, and, and I didn't see this until I started looking at this again. If you really want to understand what salvation is about, salvation is about freedom. God wasn't restricting Adam. God was giving him freedom. He said, listen, Adam, I don't want you to focus on this one tree that's here in the garden. I want you to understand something, Adam. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. You see, and that's what salvation is. Salvation is about freedom. What sin is about is about bondage. What Satan said was you must not eat. See, what Satan does is Satan positions sin as freedom and salvation as restriction or bondage. Think about that. Salvation is freedom. Sin is bondage. Satan positions it that if you live in sin and you get to do whatever you want to do, that's real freedom. And if you want to serve God in salvation, oh, that's real bondage. Have you ever heard someone say this? You know, I can't become a Christian now because there are just too many rules. Anyone ever heard that one? Or, um, you know, you can't have fun. You can't do this. You can't go out. Um, can't do that. Maybe you even heard this one. Um, I want to have some fun now. And then when I get older, I'll become a Christian. Maybe you've heard all that stuff. Why? Because what Satan tries to do is position salvation or Christianity as being restrictive, as being confining, as being in bondage. That's deception, folks. The reality is there's freedom in salvation. There's bondage in sin. Okay, and that's the deception. That's the subtle twist. God said, you are free. Satan said, you must not eat. Notice the difference here. One was freedom, one was restriction or bondage. And so as believers, we have to be careful about two things. First of all, we have to be careful about what I'm going to call preaching the gospel of can't. Um, well, if you get saved, you can't go here, you can't go there, you can't do this, you can't do that. That's not the gospel, folks, all right? You have to be careful that we don't make the gospel about do's and don'ts and cans and can'ts because we're missing the essence of what the gospel is about. The gospel is about your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, on the flip side of that, we have to be careful about preaching the gospel of everything goes too because that's not the gospel either, okay? The gospel of... It's about your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And by the way, if you go to any of those extremes, focusing on all the things you can or can't do, or focusing on your freedom, that means you can just do anything you want. Both of those things are deceptions, and they play right into the devil's hands. We have to be careful. Understand this, folks. Christianity is not about following a set of rules and regulations. It's not about doing is neither is it about doing what you feel or whatever you want to do. It's not about any one of those things. It is about building a personal relationship with Jesus Christ by the power and help of the Holy Spirit. And in the course of that relationship, what will happen is God will remove things from your life that are not good for you, and he will add things to your life that he knows are good for you. So it's not about cans and can'ts and do's and don'ts. It's about me walking in relationship with Jesus Christ 
And as God says, you know what? That's not good for you. He slowly begins to take away that desire and taste for it. Okay, so I want you to understand that. Not that there's no rules or boundaries. There are, but that's not what I focus on. I focus on my walk with God. And as I do that, I desire to live a life that pleases him. Okay. All right. Let's keep going. Verse number two is still in Genesis. Uh, verse number two says, the woman said to the serpent, she replied, right? First of all, just remember what the serpent said. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Now, by the way, Eve added to this command because nowhere did God say you can't touch the tree. So somewhere between God giving the command to Adam and Adam sharing that with his wife, something got lost in the translation. Now, that's a whole nother lesson. We're not going to talk about that one tonight. But something happened where Eve added to the command. And what Eve showed there that she didn't really have a full grasp of what God had told her. So she was ripe for theft of her position, if you will. Now, here's what Satan said in verse number four. He said, you will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, I want to talk about another um, way the devil moves. And I'm going to call this, for lack of a better word, a devil's cocktail. All right. So here's a devil's cocktail and we'll see it play on just a minute. A devil's cocktail mix, uh, mix a lie with some truth and add to that a partial truth. And then you have what we call a devil's cocktail. And we see that in verse number four, the first part is you will not certainly die. That, folks, was a straight-out lie, okay? Lie, right off the bat. But then notice what he says. He says, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. Is that true? Absolutely. That is true, right? God knew that their eyes would come open. But then here's the partial truth. And you will be like God. That's not true. Knowing good and evil, that is true, all right? So when the devil mixes a cocktail, he'll take a lie, mix a truth with it, and mix a partial truth with that, okay? And as you know, um, in, in math, when you have a negative and a positive, you come up with a negative. So when you mix a lie with any sort of truth, you come up with a lie, period, okay? So here are the lies and the promises Satan made. He said, number one, that you will not certainly die. That's a lie. He made a promise that your eyes would be open. That's true. He said, you will be like God. That's a lie. And he said, you will know good and evil. Okay. So that's what he was promising. And here's how he uses this today. Because if you really look at what he was doing here, this is what he was subtly telling Eve. And, and he does the same thing to us. He says, this is what I think about. It. He was telling Eve, you know what? God is kind of holding out on you, Right. He doesn't really want the best for you. He's trying to steal your joy. He's trying to cramp your style. He doesn't really want you to be like him. So he's kind of holding out on you, All right. This is what, these are some of the same lies that he uses today. 
wants to take your identity away. He doesn't want you to be the best you could be, right? He was telling them, God knows you're going to be just like him, okay? And so the Satan uses the same type of strategies, if you will, with us today, convincing us that God doesn't have our best interest in heart, okay? Now, notice verse number six. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Okay. Now I want to jump forward to, to the new Testament for a moment, because one of the things that you're going to find at the root of just about every single temptation is three things. Now, we already established that Satan is the ruler of this world. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17, here's what it says. It says, do not love this world nor the things it offers you, for when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world on offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. If you look at, I believe it's the new uh, NIV, the new international version, it uses the language, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I'm not sure if that's NIV or New King James. but um, And we see this happening, by the way, all the way back in Genesis. At verse number six, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, what is that? That's a craving of the flesh, lust of the flesh. And also pleasing to the eye. What is that? A craving for what we see or everything we see or lust of the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. What is that? The pride of life, pride in our achievements and, and possessions. She took the fruit. You see, at the root of every temptation that the devil throws at you is these three factors for the most part. It's either that craving for physical pleasure, lust of the flesh, that craving for everything we see, the lust of the eyes, or pride in our achievements and possessions, pride of life. And we see that here. Okay? And because of those things that influenced Eve and, and Adam, because Adam was with her, they decided to eat the fruit. And then verse seven, it says, then this is Genesis back in Genesis chapter three, verse seven. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden of the cool of the day, in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So here's how the enemy works. Um, the enemy is proverbial for making promises that aren't really true and promises that don't equal the result. Remember what he promised them. He said, you will not surely die. Your eyes are going to be open. You're going to be like God, and you're going to know good and evil. Well, the result was, the actual result was, they did die. Their eyes were opened. They recognized their nakedness, 
And the result of that was fear. Fear of God, fear of exposure, right? Because they were found out. And so that freedom and that position that they had in God was now taken from them. And let's, let's tie this all together with what we saw in number one. The thing the devil wants to steal is what? Your position. Okay? And what happened now? The joy of the fellowship that they had now became fear of God's presence. The freedom that they had to walk in God's presence was replaced now where they were removed from his presence. You see, temptation and everything the devil throws at you is designed to focus you on a promise that is not a reality. Again, it's a lie mixed with some truth and a partial truth, but the, all, the end result is a lie, right? And so because of that, he stole their position. Let's go back to goal number two, which we said was this devil likes to kill your passion. Let's look back in Matthew chapter 13. It says in verse number five that some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. We see in, in, in later in Matthew, the same chapter, Jesus explains what that means. In verse 20, it says, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. So they get God's word. They're all excited about God's word. But since they have no root, they only last for a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away, right? See, that's an, it's an example of killing the passion. How does he try to do that? One thing could be discouragement. Where you realize, wait a second, this is, might be harder than I thought. Or disillusionment, right? This walk, this is not what I expected, right? They were, this person received the word with joy, but then when trouble came or persecution came because of the word, then they fell away. So this is another example of how this is all tying together where, again, stealing your position or killing, killing your passion. And now let's look at the goal number three of destroying your purpose. Number seven says, other seeds fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Okay. The seed falling among thorns, this is the explanation in verse 22, refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it un fruitful. You see how this ties back to what we saw in 1 John, where it's loving the world or the things of the world. This person had the word in them, but the word was not allowed to be fruitful. Why? Because they got focused on the lust of the eye or the lust of the flesh or the pride of life. Okay. See, the word was not allowed to become fruitful in their life. And that's how the Satan used that to destroy their purpose. And one of the things he does to do that is he uses distraction. Think about it. Distraction. 
And one of the distractions that he uses is the belief that what the world has for you is better than what God has for you. You see, in this parable here, the word was choked out. Why? Because of the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. That choked the word, and it did not allow it to be fruitful in that person's life. In other words, Satan used distraction, getting them focused on other things instead of the word of God that was planted in them. Now, why does Satan attack the word of God? And we see that in verse number 8 in Matthew 13. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. And you jump to verse 23, we give the explanation. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. See, when you are full of the word of God and empowered by the Holy Spirit, you then become a threat to the kingdom of darkness. You become a threat to the enemy. Why? Because now you are positioned to be fruitful. You are positioned to fulfill your purpose. And that's why he attacks the word of God taking root and growing in your life. That's why, folks, God's word is so very important. You have to take time and spend in his word. And as you do that, you become stronger. You become, you position yourself to be fruitful and productive and to accomplish God's purpose in your life. That's why one of the things the devil always fights you on is keeping you from God's word or trying to keep you from understanding it, right? Verse 23, when the seed fall on good ground, the person heard it and understood it. And when they did that, they were in position to produce fruit, to produce purpose, to accomplish the plan that God has for their life. I hope you're getting this. Hope this is making sense to you. Um, now, let's look at some other strategies that the enemy uses. We said before he uses disguise, right? He will mimic uh, the, the Holy Spirit. Um, he also uses division. You know, in, in, in John chapter 13, Jesus said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. What? If you love one another. So if that's true, then the, the reverse of that is true, the, or the inverse of that is true, that if we don't love one another, then people will question whether we are his disciples. See, people are forming their opinion about who we are or who Christ is based on how we as believers relate to one another. So if we're fighting against each other, if we're divided, if we can't agree on stuff, if we're yelling and screaming at each other, if we're having political arguments and arguments and all this kind of stuff, then we're divided. And guess what we're not doing? We're not showing the love of Christ. And so people are looking at us and saying, if those are disciples, I don't want nothing to do with that, right? So we have to be careful because he uses 
division. Remember, his number one goal is to keep people from that position in Christ. So he uses division. Um, he also uses things like isolation and, and darkness. Um, you know, First Peter, and by the way, let me back up for a second. I was watching this video uh, recently on, um, on YouTube. I forgot where I saw it. I, maybe I was scrolling on Facebook. And um, there was these two deer that were fighting with each other. And because they were fighting with each other, there was a lion that was roaring and approaching and ready to attack them. But because they were fighting with each, with each other, they couldn't see the lion attacking or approaching. And by the time they noticed it, it was too late. Now, one of them got away, but one got eaten. All right. And that's how it is with us. We're so busy sometimes in the church fighting with each other that we're, not, we're missing the fact that there's a lion attacking, that the enemy is at the root of that. So we have to be careful of that. Um, First Peter says that the devil uh, runs around like a roaring lion looking at who he may devour. So I decided to do some research about what a lie, how a lion attacks. And I'm going to read this to you. It says, you know, most hunting that is done by lions is under the cover of darkness. In the gloom of an African night, they can easily observe and stalk their prey without the threat of detection. It's actually quite common for lions to sit and observe their prey during daylight hours, usually just before sunset, but they mostly wait until after dark before launching an attack. So don't, they don't attack in a light. Think about that. They attack in the darkness. Similarly, if the landscape is illuminated by bright moonlight, then they'll wait until it's obscured before attempting any sort of hunt. The main reason why they do this is because their typical habitation is devoid of cover. So there's no cover, so they, they can't hide the fact that they're coming, so what hides them is the darkness. Often in the daytime, a lion will begin closing in on a potential victim, but will subsequently give itself away, resulting in the prey escaping very easily. Lions that live in areas with thicker cover are able to do more hunting in the daylight. Other hunting that occurs in sunlight is directly related to the activity of a particular prey or species. But usually, most stalking by lions is done just after sunset or during the middle of the night, several hours before dawn. So how does the enemy attack? He attacks under the cover of darkness, okay? That's how lions attack. That's how the enemy attacks. So if you are hiding in darkness, then you're vulnerable for attack. If you're in isolation, you are vulnerable for attack. Okay. Other tips or tricks. He uses confusion. We talked about that before. Remember the farmer sowing seed. One of the things that why he was able to steal the seed was because they didn't understand where there was confusion. And then other things he uses, condemnation, or we said accusation. The Bible says that he is in Revelation, he's called the accuser of the brethren. And then when those things don't work, then sometimes he will use try to use fear and intimidation. But I want you to understand one thing. You don't have to be intimidated by your enemy. Because First John simply says this, um, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world okay so yes is, is satan a powerful foe yes um do we need to be aware of his devices yes but 
can he defeat us? The answer to that question is he doesn't have to. Right? We can be defeated if we don't stay in Christ, if we don't stay in the word, if we don't stay in prayer. But if we do that, then he cannot defeat us. Amen. So with that, I just wanted to, to go through that. We're going to get ready to wrap up our session. Before we do that, though, I want to talk to the person out there who might be listening, who the enemy is trying to kill or rather steal your position in Christ. If you have never accepted Christ as your savior, then you are out of position and, and Satan is winning, if you will. But you don't have to stay there. It's simple. How do you get into position? You simply repent and you accept, ask Christ to come into your life. And so we offer you that invitation to do that today, to receive Christ as your savior. And as you do that, it's a simple prayer. Jesus, please, I, I ask you to, re I repent of my sins, come into my heart, forgive me and change me and make me yours forever. If you pray a simple prayer like that with a sincere heart, then you, my friend, have moved into your rightful position. And here's good news for you. No one can ever snatch you away from God's hand. It's an awesome place to be. And we want to thank you. And for those on the line who are struggling and, and in the fight, because we're in the fight, and your enemy is, is out to get you, be encouraged today that you are stronger and greater than he is. And you be aware of his devices, but know that you don't have to fall prey to him. Father, I thank you for your word tonight. I pray tonight that you would take this and encourage your people, that they would be aware of the enemy's devices, and that they would put up guards and protections and shields against them so that they will be able to stand, knowing that you in them are greater than the one that's in the world. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.